Traders Point, how are we? It's so good to be with you, and uh, we're gonna start today just a little bit different, all right? Uh, we just wanna take a moment and celebrate and honor a very specific group of people, and that is our first responders. So, I just wanna ask, if we have any first responders in any of our rooms at the campuses, would you stand? You could be a firefighter, police officer, EMT, any capacity, would you stand? And I know you love this so much, but still, stay standing, stay standing. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna pray over you in just a moment. Um, and I just want you to know that we see you, though, that, that we love you. You know, one of my best friends and neighbors is a firefighter, and I just hear some of the stories of what you guys run towards. It is, it is heroic. Um, and we're gonna pray for you, but as a church, we always want our prayers and our resources to go side by side. So we're also gonna be giving $50,000 to local fire stations and police stations to go towards community relations. And if you're just near someone that's standing right now, one of those first responders, would you just lift a hand up towards them, just symbolic of covering them in prayer? God, thank you so much for these first responders. God, you have uniquely wired them to run towards things that many of us run away from. And I, God, I know it's a heavy job, but I pray that your spirit would meet them, that you would give them the endurance that they need, that you would give them the peace that they need. God, be with them, be with their families. And God, I also just pray just a prayer of protection over them. God, be with them. Father, I pray that they know that we see them today and we always see them, that we are with them and we are for them, we love them. Father, it's in your perfect and holy name we pray, amen, amen. Well, one more thing, um, it keeps going. Uh, we wanna invite all of our first responders and family members to something special we're gonna do here at the Northwest Campus next Saturday from one to five at the park. It's just gonna be a space just for you and your families. There's gonna be dessert and really just us, another chance just to honor you and show you how much we appreciate you. So we would love for you to come out next Saturday to the park at Northwest from one to five. One more time for all of our first responders. And so today we're continuing in our series Cumulative effect, cumulative effect. And, and a cumulative effect is really just an effect that occurs after a long period of time. It's just kind of this effect that has been built up little by little. I, lo I love the way Paul talks about um, this, this same kind of concept in 2 Corinthians chapter three. He says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with, un, with unveiled face, meaning nothing separating us from God, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, and here it is, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And I really want us to focus in on that, from one degree of glory 
to another. How many of you wish growth happened from like, if I'm at one, then I'm at 100, I'm at 100, then I'm at 1,000? But everything that really means anything and real transformation and, and healthy transformation isn't done overnight, but it's, it's little by little, it's brick by brick, it's from one degree to the next. And in this series, we've been just looking at different parts of our lives that when we apply that same cumulative effect, we see that you know, within God's design, it's really incredible what he is able to do. And last week, we talked about long game parenting, and we're gonna talk about work and, and, and intentional relationships like in our community. But today, here's what we're gonna be looking at. We're gonna be looking at healthy marriage. Healthy marriage. Now, I know the, the moment I said we're gonna be talking about marriage, I almost lost about a third of you. For one reason or another, you're like, I don't wanna talk about this, or maybe you're gonna want a different message on marriage that I'm gonna give today. Maybe you want the, the message on marriage. What about life after marriage? Now, what about singleness? What about being married to someone who, who doesn't believe? And those are all great messages. And what I just wanna do is just kinda corral all of us together and to say, just because you think this one might not be for you, that this one might be for you. Usually the messages that I don't think God is gonna have anything to say to me are the ones where the Spirit just blindsides me. And I got hit harder than I ever expected. But here's what we are gonna talk about today. Here's what I'm gonna try to do. Within a healthy marriage, I'm just gonna try to show the beauty of marriage. The beauty of marriage. This God-designed covenant that he has given to us. I just wanna hold it up and see the beauty of how beautiful it can be. And here's the thing with beauty. Beauty is built one degree at a time. And maybe you've seen those relationships with that, that couple that's been together 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, and then you kinda nudge your spouse like, I wish we were like that. They didn't get like that overnight. It was little by little from one degree to the next. And I'm excited to talk about the beauty of marriage. I am married myself uh, a little bit about me, two months away from 12 years of marriage, right? This is, this is us. A younger version, but it's, it's still us, and uh, we're still going up just like we were that day. But it's, um, marriage is, is beautiful. And our story, I'm telling you, it's been amazing seasons. There's been some tough parts. I mean, we met on a blind date, and here we are almost 12 years later, married, four kids. I mean, Nicholas Sparks, if you're looking for your next story, <laughs> I got you. But here's what we're gonna be looking at today. And, and if, if you're the note-taking type, you're already ready for this. But if you don't take notes, I just wanna encourage you. We're gonna work through a lot today. And the hope is that the message does not end today. There's gonna be stuff that we take here to continue to build that cumulative effect. So we're gonna be looking at healthy marriage, like I said, but there's gonna be four different kind of sections that we're gonna look at. And just coincidentally, they all begin with the letter S. You, you figure it out, all right? So we're gonna look at the start, the seriousness, the structure, and the source. We're gonna look at the start, the seriousness, the structure, and the source. So we're just gonna kick things off with the start. And, and here's what I mean. 
When do we first see this concept of marriage? When did it come into the picture? And what's fascinating is that marriage is one of the few things that existed before the fall, before sin entered the world. But unfortunately, some of us treat marriage like it is an effect of the fall. It's too real, huh? You just buckle up. Um, but we see that, you know, this, this, this story of Adam and Eve, this first marriage, it exists in Genesis chapter two. And here's the beginnings. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So God's created everything at this point. He's created the sun and the sky and the stars and the moon and the sun and all the beasts and the birds, and then he made man, and there's, there's, no, there's no one suitable for him. And he says, this, this isn't okay. I'm gonna do something about this. So God creates the first woman, and I want you to look at the man's response. He says, at last, the man exclaimed. And this is just, this one's for free, not even in my notes. But if you wanna just help your marriage this week, Add that to your vocabulary. When you see your spouse come through the door, just be like, at last, I've been waiting on you all day. Do your feet hurt? You've been running through my mind all day. <laughs> and use it in a real way, not in like a con condescending way of like, he's been in the bathroom for 45 minutes, and you're like, at last. Glad you could leave your throne and come to the rest of us. Or maybe she went to Target just to get one thing and then she walks through the door three hours later with four bags at last. No, no, glad you, glad you made it back. But he says, at last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And here it is. This is the fundamental thing of what marriage is. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is marriage. What a beautiful gift. God creates man, he creates woman. They are different, they are distinct, but they are equal, and then you bring them together. They complement one another, and they do a better job together of fully reflecting the glory of who God is. This is marriage. And here's the thing that I want us to get from the start. Marriage is God's design. Marriage is not just a piece of paper. Marriage is not just a ceremony. Marriage is not a tax benefit. Marriage was not created by the government. Marriage is God's design. And unless we start there, we will kind of bring marriage down to this low place and minimize what it really is and what takes place there. And we'll make it much more temporary and much easier to leave. Which brings us to the second point that we're gonna see today is the seriousness of marriage. So we have the start and we see that the, the seriousness that won't take full effect until we see that this is God's and not ours. But Jesus would speak directly to the seriousness of marriage. It's important to note what we're gonna read here is a response. You see these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they go up to Jesus and they're trying to catch him. They're trying to give him a no-win situation. So here's the question that they phrase to him. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? 
And we see by Jesus' response is that he's almost offended. Like that they would reduce God's marriage to something that could be just thrown away or just for any reason set aside. You see that there's a seriousness to his words. Look at the way Jesus responds. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Sounds familiar. It says, since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Marriage is his. And anything that God is a part of, there is a weight to it. And anything that God is a part of, it's no longer just what's best for me and you. We have to take what he wants into account. There's a third person in all of our marriages, and it is God. You see, a lot of times when we get married in our culture, there's a ceremony, right? We bring together people, friends, family, and we stand together face to face with this other person and we make a vow to one another. Maybe it looks something like this, your marriage, you can remember. I do a lot of these. You know, in the presence of God, I take you for better, for worse, for sickness, and in health. This is my solemn vow. And we stand together and we stand up there, but it's not just us. Because can either me or you turn two into one? No. This is the supernatural work that God's saying, if you want this, then what I'm gonna do is when you make this vow, you commit to one another and I'm gonna seal you two together. Two become one. Two households, two families become one. Two sets of finances become one. Two houses, one. And the culmination of all of this is the act of sex. This visual, this physical representation of two becoming one. And he says, since God brought this together, let no one tear apart what God has brought together. And Jesus continues to talk about this teachings. And he says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. And this is what he's doing here. He's not, he's not only saying that, is it okay for you to divorce for any reason? Of course not. And he also goes a step further and says, it's also not okay. It's actually a really big problem, unless she's been unfaithful. And I'm not gonna go into like a full teaching on reasons for divorce, but Jesus points at one here, that unfaithful, and we see a few different ones in 1 Corinthians as well from Paul. But here's kind of just three big buckets when you talk about reasons for divorce. If we're gonna take it serious, unfaithful, if I was abandoned, or abused. Like these are three kind of big markers that would say, could you get a divorce? Do you have to get a divorce? No. But these three things a lot of times lead to divorce. So we need to be extra cautious that we never even represent or get close to one of these things. Here's the way that I'd like to say it today. Divorce should not be as easy as signing a document. Divorce should be as hard as amputating a part of your body. And some of you have been through a divorce and you know that that's what it felt like. But here's the idea, if two are becoming one, this isn't just signing something and walking away. You are amputating a part of yourself. And when would you amputate a part of your body? 
It's when you can't possibly move forward with this. You can't move forward with it and live. So you make the unbelievably hard decision to get a divorce. Marriage is not just high stakes dating, there's a weight to it, there's a seriousness to it. And the disciples, they pick up on this. This conversation goes a different direction. They could not have expected the way Jesus really leans in on this. Like this, this is heavy. And look at their response. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Guys are the worst. <laughs> it's like, so you're saying this is gonna be really, really hard? Yeah, I'm out. Um, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just that audible sigh of like, ah, oh, it's true. Um, but this is, their, this is how Jesus responds to him. Like, if this is true, then we might as well not get married. And look at Jesus' sobering words. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. And I, I just want you to feel that seriousness today. There's some of you in the room that are thinking about marriage, and you need to count the cost. You're thinking this will make things easier. Marriage makes a lot of things. Easier is not one of them. We always sit down with couples doing premarital counseling and I, that's one of the first things I say is marriage is the hardest thing I've ever done. And they kind of laugh a little bit and they wait for me to laugh and I'm like, I'm not laughing. <laughs> Next to my decision to follow Jesus, the second best thing I've ever said yes to in my life but it is really hard. It is not for the faint of heart. And you, I think we think that, you know, till death do us part is not gonna come that next day when you spend a lifetime dying to yourself and placing the needs of this other person above your own. I just wanna say, like, the, count the cost. Even if you got a ring in your pocket right now, count the cost. The other thing that I wanna highlight here is healthy singleness. I know this, this talk is about healthy marriage but he mentions singleness here. And, and I just want to say that whether you're single for a season or maybe you're committed to being you know, single for a lifetime, I want to go back to the words of Jesus here, and this is for marriage and for singleness, that if we approach it for the sake of the kingdom, all things are possible. I also wanna say that singleness is not a placeholder until you get married. It, there's no evolution to this. It's like, I was a single Christian and now I'm a married Christian. No, there are Christians. And there are two options. For those that want it, you can be married to one person. Or two, you can be single and celibate. Both are honoring to God. Both bring with it, if we submit them to God, there's something unique God will do in our marriages that he couldn't do in any other relationship. And there's something God can do in our singleness that he couldn't do in any other relationship. So what we need to do is just place them to God and submit them to him, say, hey, for marriage, it's for the sake of the kingdom. My singleness, it's for the sake of the kingdom. But I think for far too long, maybe you've heard that or thought that or thought maybe then my life will start when I get married. I just wanna say, you, because of Jesus, are completely fulfilled where you are. 
And I just wanna take a moment and honor all of our singles across our campuses. What you're able to do and the way you serve God is honoring. And we honor you. And so that's the seriousness of it. It's not for the faint of heart. And then I want us to look at the structure, the structure of marriage. Mainly, what's this arrangement? We see that there's a foundation to it, that we've already been talking about the seriousness to it, but what do we build on top of that foundation? This is where a lot of us get in trouble. And unless we start at that place that this is God's design, his blueprint, we don't get to decide what we put on top of it. A lot of times we take this concept of marriage, this foundation, and we say, I see what you're doing, God, but hear me out. I think I might have a new idea. I think I got a better idea. And it's like, no, just stick, stick to the thing. It's like, have you ever built, built gingerbread houses with your kids? You unpack everything and you lay it there and they are like, Dad, what if we use the roof for walls and the walls for the roof? What if, yeah, or we could just use the roof for the roof and the walls for the walls. What if we took the chimney and we put it in the front yard? Or we put the chimney on top of the house. Man, what are you talking about? It reminds me of this comedian. He was making fun of uh, Americans. He's, he's from Africa, and he was talking about how we pronounce the word zebra wrong. He says, you guys call it, you say zebra, zebra. It's not zebra, it's zebra. Debra, but with a Z, zebra. And then he makes this distinction. He says, you don't get to name them because you don't have them. So what we're gonna look at here is that since marriage is not ours, it's, it's God's, we don't get to name it, we don't get to decide what it looks like, we're gonna look to him for what does the structure for marriage look like. And kind of the umbrella term for the structure of marriage is covenant, covenant. Covenant's pretty much, I would say, only talked about within the Bible. You probably don't have a lot of covenants going on with different people. You don't use it every day, I guess I would say. But there's this there's, there's difference between a covenant relationship, which, and then I think what a lot of us turn marriage into today, which is a contract. Now, a contract, if we're looking at marriage from the standpoint of a contract, it is a horrible contract. We just look through the vows for richer, for poor, for sickness and in health. Where's the exception? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this is a horrible contract, but it's a beautiful covenant. And it's a personal promise that I'm making to this other person. So it's a covenant, not a contract. I'm not looking for what I can get out of it, more so I'm looking for what I can bring to it. And then the second distinction I would make about the difference between the covenant is a lot of times there's a difference between happiness and holiness. A lot of us got married under the guise that I am going to be so, so happy and then you got into it and you were happy for a season, maybe a big season, maybe seven years, 10 years, but then when the happiness faded, you thought, well, this marriage must have run its course. But the whole point of marriage is not happiness. Marriage, more so than anything, is this discipleship tool that reflects our relationship with God. You'll have seasons that you will not be happy in, but every season can be used to bring holiness. Marriage is a covenant that helps make us holy, not a contract for guaranteed happiness. I love the way Philip Yancey just kind of paints a clear and real picture of what marriage is and what it's not. 
He says, marriage strips away the illusions about sex pounded into us daily by the entertainment media. Few of us live with oversexed supermodels. We live instead with ordinary people, men and women who get bad breath, body odors, and unruly hair, who menstruate and experience occasional impotence, who have bad moods and embarrass us in public, who pay more attention to our children's needs than our own. We live with people who require compassion, tolerance, understanding, and an endless supply of forgiveness. So do our partners. Such is the ironic power of sex. It lures us into a relationship that offers to teach us what we need far more, and here it is, sacrificial love. And what we're gonna do now is we're just gonna do a study into Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 21. This is probably the biggest bulk of scripture that we see that speaks directly to marriage. And what I want you to do, we're gonna read a big chunk, so you know, buckle up, and then two, you may read some things that you're not sure about, you may read some things that you disagree about, I just wanna ask you to suspend judgment until we work our way through this whole thing, okay? So take a look at this. Here's the structure for marriage. Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 through 33. Paul says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. We just can't get away from this. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord, yeah. So I just wanna give us a little bit of a background into what we just read. Just to remember, what we read here, this came at a real time in history with real people. Paul wrote a letter to a church in the city of Ephesus to people that were going through, obviously, things that were dealing with marriage. Why was that? Well, in this time, um, Ephesus was known for a few things, probably what it was most well known for, that it was the home of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis. And so I want you to think about this. You have this space where people are coming together, believing Jesus for the first time, but they're coming not just as blank slates. They're coming women believing that this goddess, Artemis, said who they were, gave them their identity that they were above this, that they were made in these forms and these images of a goddess and they should be ruling. All in the mix, you have Christian men coming to believe in Jesus from this Roman culture that for as long as they can remember have been told that you are the strong one, 
You are the strongest force in the world. You are a man. There is nothing that you do that has consequences. You sleep with who you want. You marry who you want. You do what you want. And now these people are getting married. And Paul offers a new paradigm. And he says, how about, which one of you is greater? How about you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? You wanna be first? Well, the first is last. You go figure that one out. And what is it gonna look like for these two to come together? And what's fascinating is, the first audience that would have read this, the men would have been taken back. The men would have been the one like, this is hard to hear. And for others, I'm guessing that it may be, as you're reading through these scriptures, women might have a harder time today, like wrestling, well, what does that mean? And it's maybe around this word, submit. Maybe you've heard it used in different ways over the years. Maybe it was used as a weapon, and I, I just wanna bring a little bit of clarity to this word submission, and what does it mean here in these scriptures? The first thing that we need to see is the clarity on submission. This is wives to husbands, not women to men. Second, the word submission really is a military word that just means to line up behind. And he says, wives to husbands, and then as to the Lord. Meaning a husband could never ask his wife to do something outside of God's will. The third thing, you're submitting to someone who has already committed to placing the needs of his wife above his own. And then the last thing I would say is submission does not mean silence. Submission does not mean he comes home and decides the way things are. Submission does not mean you just you know, zip it and whatever makes him happy makes me happy. No, you two have been brought together to complement one another, to do this life together. You speak, you influence, you work together. Mutual sacrifice, mutual submission. But I think for far too long, men have thought that headship meant playing dictator and telling everyone this is the way it's going to be. But biblical leadership is a call to die. Biblical leadership is a call to selflessness, a call to serve, a, a call to place the needs of another above your own. So I heard it said like this once, if a man ever calls out, woman, submit, she should respond with, man, die. And now I just wanna work through just a little bit of what Paul spoke directly to each one, for husbands and for wives. And we're gonna start with husbands, mainly because if you've noticed in this description, it's three times longer are the instructions for men than it is for women. I'll let you figure that one out. But this is what Paul says when he summarizes it. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. This is an, an agape love, which is important. The Greeks had a bunch of different words for love. They had a, a more of like a brotherly friendship love, they had an erotic love, and then they had this agape, this God love. It's the same love that we see in John 3, 16, where it says, you know, for God so loved the world. Paul says, yeah, husbands, I want you to love your spouses like that, with that agape love. And in the NLT, it kind of follows up with this, with these two words, feed and care. But I like the way the ESV translates this to cherish and nourish. You know, love is my responsibility. What does it look like for me to cherish you and to nourish you, to protect you and to provide for you, to feed and to care? 
You know, there's this beautiful Jewish saying that says, God made woman not out of man's foot to be under him, nor out of his head to be over him, but she was taken from under his arm that he might protect her and from next to his heart that he might love her. And I just wanna call all men to this right now. This is your call. Love is your responsibility, which doesn't mean what you say goes. It means you're the first one to sacrifice. It's a very limited view of it, but I always talk about it like this. It means, for example, if someone broke in in the middle of the night, who's the one meeting them at the stairs? And if you say her, I hear you, no. Um, It's literally, it means I'm the first one to sacrifice. I'm the first one to take this thing head on. If there's a cut that needs to be made, I'm taking it first. If there's a second job that needs to be had, I'm doing it first. There's a call and love is my responsibility, not to use my authority, but to leverage it, to say how can I love you better? And here's just a question that I want you to wrestle with this week. Husbands, taking notes and you stopped, start again. Is my spouse growing spiritually because of me or in spite of me? Here's what I mean. Does my wife have to go around me to get to Jesus? Is my wife clinging to Jesus in spite of me because of the lack of love she's receiving from me? Or is my love ushering her in closer and closer to Jesus? Am I leading the way, protecting and providing her? And then here's two questions to ask your spouse today and this week. Is there anything that I'm currently doing that makes you feel like I don't love you? Ask this question and don't say anything. Don't defend it, don't try to explain it away, just ask. And then here's the next one. How can I love you better? This is where you know, the love languages have kind of exploded over the past few years because it's so important to communicate love, not just love, but to communicate love in a way that it lands and it's received. I remember when we first got married, the way people showed me that they loved me growing up was you bought me something. You bought me a pair of shoes, you bought me a new outfit, like whatever it was, you bought it for me. And so when I got married, I thought the way that I'm gonna show her that I love her is by buying her things. And I would buy her things, and it's not that she didn't appreciate it, it just wouldn't match the level that I just spent and what I was getting back. (laughs) And then I started to realize it's like, that's not the way that she receives love. To her, it would have been much better if I would have, you know, maybe scheduled this date night or just spent time with her asking questions or if I would have helped around the house. So it's important to ask the question, how can I love you better and to hear how they receive love for wives. He says, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That's what he boils it down to, respect. And the two words that I would use, obviously respect is there, but then encourage and care. What would it look like in your marriage to truly care about the things that he cares about? To encourage him, because he may put on like a big face and seem so sure but he's probably got a lot of insecurities. And an encouragement from someone that sees him better than anyone else would go a long way. And to know there's a lot of disrespect he may face, but if he's respected at home, it's worth so much more. And here's just two questions for you. 
Is there anything that I do that you feel disrespected by? Once again, just to ask the question and to hear where it goes. You don't have to defend, you don't have to explain. And then how can I show you that I respect you? And here's how you answer that question. When you do this, I feel like you respect me. And guys, I wish I could tell you that you're gonna take this, you have this conversation tonight, you're gonna wake up in the morning and you're gonna be saying, the Lord is good. My marriage went from darkness to light. Remember this series. It is a cumulative effect. It is one degree at a time. It's not just having this conversation one time. It's not just praying for these things one time. It's giving yourselves a lifetime to grow one degree to the next, to truly live out the beautiful marriage that God has for you. And so to, to boil that down, the cumulative effect when it comes to a healthy marriage, what are those little things that we can do day in and day out that will bring us to that beauty we've been talking about. So one, find ways to daily show the love you have for your spouse. Two, find ways to daily show the respect you have for your spouse. And here's a word that conveys both love and respect when it's, when it's deserved. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Great use of a word. Serve one another in the small things. When it comes to marriage, we get caught up in the big things. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to plan that one year anniversary, that 10 year anniversary, or those big moments. But the truth is, marriages are built daily, little by little, the cumulative effect. Like we said, it's either bringing us further apart or closer together. That's that thing that when people talk about, hey, I woke up and I didn't even recognize this person next to me. That didn't happen overnight. It's hard to see because it happens such in just small fragments one day after the next. And as it's trying to pull us apart this way, we have to be very intentional with pulling ourselves back together and it's in the small things. You have so many opportunities to love and respect one another every single day. I know for me, most of the small ways that I can love and respect my wife is usually through water. I've never met anyone that drinks more water than my wife. I used to go days without even drinking the stuff, and she drinks so much. Like, we don't have a pool at our house, but I bet even if you have a pool at your house, our water bill is higher than yours because she drinks so much of this stuff. And usually she gets super thirsty from about 8.30 to 10.30 at night. And usually, I'm not saying she does it intentionally, but it happens this way. I'll get in bed, I'll be under the covers, and I'll lay down and she'll say, hey, are you gonna go back downstairs tonight? <laughs> Wasn't planning on it. Um, why? And I already know the answer. I was just wondering if you could fill up my water. Because between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., I'm gonna need to drink about 32 ounces. And how I respond in that little moment says a lot about where my heart is. That's not a big thing. It's a little thing that goes a long way. So what are, what are, what, how do you serve one another in the small things? And ask the question, how can I meet your needs? It's a normal question. Normal night at dinner, how can I meet your needs? And fellas, she has more than sexual needs. Ooh, got quiet. <laughs> There's a whole list of them. And sex is like at the bottom. There's a mental, there's emotional, 
There's physical outside of sex. There's a list of them, all right? Work on fulfilling those needs. How can I meet your needs? And the final one, stop keeping score. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, love keeps no you know, record of wrongs. But I don't think love keeps any records of rights either. So it's not like, hey, I really respected you this week. I respected you, I respected you, and you've, you didn't love me, so now I'm gonna withdraw that respect and give you some disrespect. For the cumulative effect to happen over time, there's no withdrawals. It's I invest, I invest, I invest. I nourish and I care and I encourage and I protect and I love and I respect and I never take anything out but I just pour out my love and I just pour out my respect for this other person. That's when we begin to have this beautiful marriage. And I know it's hard, but it's possible. And it's only possible what I've seen is through Jesus. You know, usually when me and my wife sit down to do premarital counseling with a new couple, we start things off with this question. It's an icebreaker. What's your biggest fear when it comes to marriage? And it's usually at this time where the man's like, I knew we shouldn't be doing this. But here's what I hear after doing this for six years. This is what I hear most of the time, some version of this. From the man, he will say, my biggest fear, I don't know how to be a husband. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not worthy, I don't know if I'm worthy of respect. And for the wife, she says, one of my biggest fears, I think he might leave me. Do you see how God's word, what she's saying is, I don't know if I'm worthy of unconditional love. I don't know if I can be fully loved and fully known at the same time. And I just wanna land here with the source. And if you're in that place right now and you're like, I don't know if I'm worthy of respect. I don't know if I'm worthy to be loved like that. These marriages that we're talking about here, these beautiful, God-ordained, God-designed marriages are only possible if the source is the very Spirit of God. There's no other way. There's no other way to do what we're talking about day in and day out, to completely pour ourselves out, to be so vulnerable that we are naked in front of this other person, and for them to choose to see us in our nakedness and our brokenness and say, no, 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 I love you over and over and over again, and I respect you even when I have so many reasons not to. It is only by the power of God. And this is through the gospel. You see, God would come and he would live this life that me and you could not live. And he would go to a cross and he would die for me and you, defeating sin and death. Hinting back to that first verse we read, now we come to him unveiled, no separation between God and us. His spirit is alive in us. The same spirit that rose Christ from the grave can raise your marriage from whatever depths it's in right now. And so what we wanna do right now is just to create space. Because the, the covenant that we're in, this marriage covenant, it's not ultimate. It's not the main thing. It points to a much larger covenant. 
It's the new covenant that Jesus made with you and me. And this covenant, this is the one that completely fulfills. This is the one where we find our identity. And this one is not just for the married people, but it's for singled and everyone in between. And so what we wanna do, the way we wanna close out today is by taking communion together. And you know, when Jesus established this, his words were, this this symbolizes my new covenant with you. My new covenant. And so what we're gonna do right now, just collectively, through this time of communion, we're gonna offer up all of our relationships, all of our singleness for the sake of the kingdom, remembering his first covenant. So as we take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus, which was broken on our behalf, we take it and we remember. And we take the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus, which was spilled for me and you as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. We take this and we remember. Would you pray with us? Father, we come to you today and we repent. God, we repent of downplaying your idea of marriage. God, we repent of reducing it to a contract. But God, I pray that you would allow us to live inside the covenant of marriage mutual sacrifice, mutual submission, unconditional love, unending respect for one another. God, allow us to live together in a way that our marriages reflect the greater marriage between you and your church. God, let everything we do point to that. God, I pray that we would feel the weight and the seriousness of our marriages, that it's not just for us, but it's a visual that that points to the mystery of how well you love your church. God, I pray that you would use our marriages as an evangelistic tool to show people the love of Christ. God, I pray for all the people who are not married, for the singles. And God, I pray in this moment they give their lives to you for the sake of the kingdom. And God, in you and you alone, you provide fulfillment, you provide identity. And God, as we go from here in our marriages, in our singleness, we ask you to bless them, to keep us, to grow us one degree at a time, more and more into your image. And God, I pray that there's anybody here today that needs prayer that is in a space, I pray that they know that this is a safe place for that. We are here for them, no matter what. Father, we love you. It's in your perfect and holy name we pray, amen.